talked this morning about Brother Nelson's passion, love for the lost, and Brother Chad Johnson's another man that I'm telling you, if, if, if you don't think this man cares about the lost, it's just because you don't know this man. You, you, can't, you can't spend time around this man and not know how he feels about reaching the lost. In fact, I don't want to embarrass him, but you look right up here on the front row, two fine young men standing up here. You want to know why they're standing up here? Because somebody was determined to run a bus. Make sure that those boys came to church. I said something the other night in our M&M class. Some of you don't even know this, but there was a time I had to go tell him, brother, look, pull back on the reins. I think he brought 120 kids to Sunday school. We, we couldn't even, we didn't have enough teachers to handle them. And, and it was just total chaos. I said, look, I appreciate it. I want to get them here, but we got to be able to handle them once they get here. He understood. He understood. He's raring to go and raring to get that bus going again. I know that. I know that. This man loves the lost. He really does. And that's the way it ought to be for every one of us. That's the way it ought to be for every one of us. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. I do hope, do hope you handed out some of these flyers this afternoon. I took some, put them out. In fact, I talked to a couple of people and handed some out personally to a couple of folks. And, and um, I even talked to a preacher for a little while this afternoon that I'm going to start praying that somehow God will open a door that I can. You know, it wouldn't be the first one that I've been able to. Hallelujah. I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be praying. Hallelujah. Brother Chad, we love you and your wife. And you know, they, I mean, really, they are, they're, they're my babies. I mean, I've prayed them both through. Baptized them in Jesus' name. Not long after I got here, 25 years ago, and um, so I, I can't help but have a little bit of Holy Ghost pride, you know. Amen. And I, I want him to come and share his burden with us tonight. Praise God. Come right ahead, brother. Praise the Lord, church. Praise the Lord here tonight. Oh, I'm in a tough predicament feeling the Spirit of the Lord and all that He has done here tonight. And I, whoo, it's hard to compete with the Lord here. But uh, I have come with a, a burden on my heart here tonight. And uh, 
I'll be honest, I'm, I'm super nervous. I'm, I'm new to preaching here, and, uh, and I've got a little bit of pasture on me. I've got 18 pages of notes. <laughs> uh, Brother Golf's going to graciously agree to preach with me here tonight. He's got all the scriptures, which is about six pages. So, but I'm kind of torn here a little bit tonight because I feel like the Lord's pretty much done what he wanted to do. I need to kind of consult my pastor here a bit. But I do have a message for us here tonight, and I feel like preaching it. But I don't want to I don't want to be labeled Pharaoh Jr. here tonight. And I won't let God's people go. <laughs> Pharaoh Jr. Uh, we might cut through some of this, Brother Golf. Acts chapter 2. Verse 1 through 13. When you have it, say amen. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all of the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are these not all which speak Galileans? And how we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues wonderful works of God. And once again they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? But others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Verse 7 says they were all amazed and marveled. Verse 12 says they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? And others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Obviously they wondered what in the world is going on around here. This is crazy town around here. Others made fun, perhaps not understanding what was happening. Some accusing them of being drunkards, probably because of their outlandish worship, talking in tongues, slobbering all over themselves and falling down. But what I see here is Jesus starting a fire of revival. And the hell of fire, hellfire trying to stop it. And from the beginning of the church until now, nothing has changed. A high-ranking devil... Individual said in an interview some years ago that his administration, his biggest frustrations was that he was unable to establish gun control 
And in a speech given to Midwesterns in 2008, he also said that these people cling to their religion and their guns, mocking them, not knowing. Tonight, if you understood what these two emblems of freedom mean, guns and religion to a nation, they are our physical freedom and our spiritual freedom. And here tonight I'm to deal with the spiritual side of that aspect. And from that I want to preach to you here tonight from this title. With the help of the Holy Ghost. Bitter clingers. Bitter clingers. If you would here tonight let's pray for this message. And help me here tonight because I'm super nervous. Jesus we need your touch here in this house tonight. We need your anointing Lord God. God, to be with us like you've been with us in the start of this service here tonight, God. To help me here in this house tonight, Lord God, to deliver the burden of your soul here tonight, Lord God. For those here tonight, I'm reaching out for those who are lost here tonight. God, help me here to preach this message unto the hearers. And those who are on internet land and in radio land here tonight, I give you all of the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you. We pray. You may be seated. Verse 13 said, Others mocking said that these men are full of new wine. In the, in the lexicon, I looked this up and it said, Sweet wine. Musk. Some believe that this, this wine was distilled with its own grapes, which is the sweetest and smoothest of all. This is the only place in the scripture that this good wine or sweet wine or new wine is ever mentioned. Yet, we get the word glucose. If any of you know what that means, it's sugar. But also here it says, the ancients had a method of preserving this sweetness and by consequences avoiding the inebriating quality of enos wine, which is the intoxicated fermented wine. But yet, those full of glucose were considered drunk. When they've had their fill, they were, they were drunk and could be intoxicated. It was also known as good wine. No doubt the people probably were confused, never seeing this before, and what was happening, the gift of the Holy Ghost being poured out and the church being born. This wasn't new to them, and many of them wondered if this could be true. While others did not want to change from the old ways of how things had already been done because they already had control over the people. Throughout the New Testament, we see mocking. And people mocking and accusing these people of being drunkards, not understanding that this was the plan of God for the church. Since the beginning in the garden and throughout the scriptures, we see when God decides to do something, the adversary is right there to try to stop God's plan. And here in the scriptures we see tonight is no different. Dr. Albert Barnes says the word rendered mocking means to cavil or deride. This was an effect this was an effect that was not confined to the day of Pentecost. There has seldom been a revival of religion, a remarkable manifestation of power of the Holy Ghost that has not been given to profane mockery and merriment. One characteristic of wicked people is to deride those things which are done to promote their own welfare. Hence, the Savior himself was mocked on the cross. And the efforts of Christians to save others have been subject of derision. 
Derision and mockery and jeer have been far more effectual in deterring people from becoming Christians than any attempts at a sober argument. What Dr. Barnes is trying to say here tonight that mocking and making fun has more, far more significant effect on people than you think, especially those who are looking for Christ. In history, there was a great man named Aristotle. He taught that heavier objects fall faster than lighter ones. Because he was one of the greatest thinkers of his time, people believed him. After 2,000 years of people believing this, another man named Galio called for learned men to come to a base of a high tower. He then climbed to the top and pushed off a 5 kilo weight and a 1 kilo weight. At the same time, they both hit the ground. Much to their surprise, everyone who gathered, both objects hit, and the power of that, they didn't believe. One man's belief, it was so strong that learned people refused to believe what they had seen. They denied Galio's experiment and insisted Aristotle was correct. The tradition of what they had always been taught would not allow them to accept the truth. Even when they had seen it and admitted that it was incorrect, they persisted in believing in erroneous teaching. The story of this was related in a book called Strong Men in Tough Times, where this man stated that a person's beliefs hold the greatest potential for good or harm in life. You know, everybody teaches it this way. And you are trying to tell me something different here, preacher. Some people cling to a lie, even when shown the truth. Listen, people say that you don't have to do all of this to be saved. Just accept the Lord as your personal Savior, or believe on Him, and thou shalt be saved, and you will be okay. But this is not the true gospel, and it is a lie. Many other churches told me that uh, this is the way to be saved. My grandmother spent her whole life in a church, and no matter how much I tried to tell her that, you know, look at this, Grandma, look at this, look at this, and she refused, even seeing it, to believe what was being said and shown to her. And, and, and I, I'm a loss for words. What do you say? What do you say when people just refuse to do that, and it's your own family? I know that is what we have learned, but that is not the scriptures. What you are doing is clinging to a lie and the traditions of man and not scripture. Listen to what Jesus had to say about traditions when talking to the Pharisees. Mark 7, 3 through, uh, we'll go down to verse uh, 9, Brother Golf. Mark 7, 3 through 9. Page 1, it should be your first scripture. Yeah, but I'm going to go down to verse 9 there. I'm going to try to cut things out here. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as washing the pots and cups, and many other such things, they, they, things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye keep your own tradition. Amen. Amen. 
So they reject the commandment of God. What you got to understand here is the Pharisees, they, they, they prescribed things that God didn't tell them to do. They just kept, you know, kept, just so they can keep control of the people there. And it is no different today than it was in Jesus' day. If you keep reading on, it says, you know, that uh, it's not what man puts into his mouth, it's what comes out of his mouth that defiles him. Here in the text, we find the principle of first mention. This is the first time that we see people obeying the gospel, receiving the Holy Ghost since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and Him being seen 40 days of others and ascending to heaven. Read Acts 2, 1 through 4 once again. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is where the gospel is being put into action, and the souls of man are being saved, and the church is born for the first time in Scripture. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, 1-7 says this. We'll go down to verse 5. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which ye also have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and, hath, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve. All righty. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, also wrote the book of Luke. So let's take a look at the few, last few verses of Luke's book and see what he had to say in the gospel. Jesus speaking here, Luke 24, 44 through 49. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. Right. And These guys understood the Scriptures. They, they, they knew what the Scriptures said, because Jesus opened their understanding. Go on, brother. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. His name, not titles, in tw- uh, according to Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go on among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but ye tarry in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. You be endued from power on high, and we see at the end of the book of Luke and the continuing on in the book of Acts here tonight, and we're down through chapter 1, and we'll come into chapter 2 here. Now let's get us back to the message that uh, Peter preached on uh, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 30, or 2, verse 36 through 41. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. 
Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto, added unto them about 3,000 souls. But you said they spoke in tongues, Brother Chad, as they received the Spirit here. And we're not seeing it here in Acts chapter 2, 36 through 41. But let's back up here a couple scriptures here and see what it says on Acts 2 and 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see, now see and hear. Now, God is a spirit. And how can you see a spirit? Where it says here, he shed forth, now that you now see and hear. So you know that they spoke in tongues when they saw and they heard. How, as also in John, where Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he, he basically said the same thing in John 3 and 8. And that's not all. As you all know, I'm preaching the gospel here tonight. I'm trying to shed some light into people who know lies. And I'm just preaching the gospel and getting the Lord's business out of the way before I get to where I want to get here tonight. Acts chapter 19, 1 through 6, Brother Goff. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believe? And they said unto him, have, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Right. And he said unto them, unto then, uh, What then were ye baptized? What were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were, ba they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with and tongues. And they spake with tongues. And prophesied. You hear, they spake with tongues. If you want a better teaching here, I'm just kind of glazing over the gospel here, here tonight. But we do have a podcast called Face the Truth, if right. many of you haven't heard on the radio and internet here. And I would encourage you to join that because in uh, episode 83 and 84 of this week, our pastor who can graciously preach the word, that's why I'm so nervous up here, Try to preach now when you got it. and Brother Nelson, man, he brought it this morning, and you got to you got to follow that up, you know. And I hear tonight, I'm your spiritual dietitian, and you're just getting dog treats, you know. <laughs> oh man! But that's not all. We are having a Bible study this weekend, Wednesday at seven o'clock, which we're talking about. The Bible study is speaking in tongues, and it will be in the description of YouTube and Facebook. So all you got to do is go into the description and log in for a little bit sounder teaching than what I'm giving. I'm just kind of glazing over it here tonight. Acts chapter ten, verse forty-four through forty-eight says this: While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as, as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water, that they should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they, them, they him to tarry certain days." Amen, amen. I've given you three witnesses here tonight in the scripture of the gospel. And I could go on here, but I'm going to skip, or skip down here, Brother Golf, for time's sake. Now that I felt like I've preached the gospel to you here tonight, I want to go on to a different subject here. 
Acts chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Brother Golf. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Amen. Notice that these people were doubters and mockers, accusing the brethren of being drunkards. Let's move on to verse 14 and 15, Brother Golf, of but, Acts chapter 2. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is a but the third hour of the day. Now notice here, Peter did not deny that they were not drunk. It's just not like you think it is. Here, Ephesians 5 and 18 says this. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with be the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit here tonight. Do not be full of wine, but be full. Notice Peter, how he handled the mockery. Peter had to make a stand against people that were mocking him and mocking the gospel. He had to say something on top of just standing up. Let me put it in today's vernacular for you. Peter had to make a stand and his team with him also. Let me put it down here a little bit further here for you. Peter made a stand and also did his posse with him. Dad... And one of his sternest warnings to me as a child, his sternest warnings, I'll never forget as a kid. He said, son, don't you ever dare start a fight. But if one comes, you better not let it go unchecked, even if you get beat up. Because if I find out that you didn't fight, I'm going to come. When you get home, I'm going to get you with the belt. And in my house, I had three modes of tanning my hide. I had the belt, the paddle, and then the switch. And the switch was the most war hard one because that you had to go out and pick it. And then the anticipation of getting beat was, uh, I was finding magazines and newspapers, let me tell you. But <laughs> I never knew what that meant one day until it happened to me on a bus ride. One day coming home from church or from school, an older kid from high school was picking on me day after day, and I had enough. So I made a plan. That day, my sister got on the bus, and she sat behind him, and I sat in front of him. And when he started his games of flicking me in the back of the head and doing everything like that, I signaled and winked at my sister, and she jumped up behind him and choked him, and I started beating on him right there. But needless to say, it didn't end well being a high schooler, me being in kindergarten. And the next thing I know, the bus was stopping and I was flying and he was flying and my sister was flying. And we got kicked off the bus that day. But the most amazing thing happened when I got home. I was expecting to get it from dad. You know, the bus driver come to the house and said, you know, your son, you know, he's, he shouldn't have done what he did and... I understand the kid was picking on him and da 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 and my dad's smiling at him. I remember it just as plain as day here. But uh, when dad sat me down, he explained something to me. He said, son, I want you to understand. You did the right thing even though you got beat up. Because next time that bully decides he wants to run his mouth and do anything, he's going to think twice that if he's got to answer, if he's got to back up his words. And I hear you here tonight, bullies, if they have to back up their own words, may not 
pick or start a fight. He explained to me why evil could not go unchecked. If allowed to go on unchecked, next time you'll find yourself in an unbearable situation. And now look at society. We have bully programs because dads didn't teach their children how to fight and stand up for what is right. Society is teaching you that it's a shame to defend your, yourselves. Now we got boys dressing like girls and girls dressing like boys. And, and we don't even know what gender we are anymore. But let me tell you here today, I played with dolls as a kid. I wreaked havoc on Barbie. I sat on top of fence posts where I lived, and uh, I, I, you know, girls were like, yuck, back in that day. And I, I gave them the old cherry bomb effect and to see how far they'd fly. And I'd back up with the old 1022 and see how far I could get away, you know. But nowadays, you know, I don't, I don't quite play that way. But that's what boys did back in that day. But uh, let me bring it home here to us here tonight where I'm trying to really go. The church is the only thing that stands between evil accomplishing its will. I believe we're in a situation now because churches have decided to cower and tuck their tails between their legs during this pandemic instead of standing up and saying no. It is a planned attack against the church so evil can uncloak itself as we are now seeing. There's a reason that the liquor store and the abortion clinic and the porn shop is open, but the church remains closed. And the church seems to be content with that. And none of those are essential, but the church is. I refer back to what my dad said. If you don't stand for something, son, far worse thing is coming down the path. Who were these people who were mocking and running their mouths and having diarrhea of the mouth? Who were they? Verse 5 says this in Acts chapter 2 and verse 5. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. These were Jews. These were God's people. These people had a relationship with God. They knew who God was. Can I put it to you this way? They were people who didn't want to really serve God anymore and wanted to serve their own flesh. In the Old Testament, God always had to deal with their backslidden condition and their idolatry. As I said in the beginning, we see two fires. Could it be something happened in their life that caused them to backslide and get bitterness in their hearts and therefore stop mocking the church? Or someone angered them or did something wrong to them where they left and bitterness grew? I don't know, perhaps maybe they got shot at by friendly fire and it caused them to lose heart. One of my favorite books in the first chapter, it just kicks it right off, about a military term called fracture side. It's being killed by friendly fire. It is terrible to be killed by the enemy in war, but it's much worse to be killed by someone on your own side. It is the military's most mortal sin and holds the highest degree of disciplinary action. Could it be that they were maybe in a battle and got defeated and no one was there to hug them and hold their neck and encourage and strengthen them and they become discouraged and quit and went back to the world and became bitter? Could it be that a fiery trial and not knowing what to do or handle it and the devastation from the trial put them in the condition that they are in being angry with God. Oh, 1 Peter 4 and 12 and 13 says this. 
Beloved, think it not strange concerning the think fiery trial. Think it not strange. Which is to try you. A fiery trial that is to try you. As though some strange things happen unto you, but rejoice. But rejoice. Inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. The Bible tells us that we are tried by the fire, and the trial of our faith is more precious than gold. That sometimes means some good things will come out of your trial, but you need to understand the fires of hell still can leave a scorched and scarred life. I know it's not popular preaching, but you will be tempted with sin. You will fight carnality. It will lead you into trials. Iniquity will change challenge your morality and will infringe upon your righteousness disloyalty will wound your trust and even those that you love the most and God wants to tell somebody here in this house tonight I know that you're going through fiery trials and that's not an option but Isaiah 43 and 2 says this brother Goff when thou passest through the waters I will be with thee and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Amen, amen. The other day we've been talking about winning souls, and I decided I was going to log in to Instagram. That's not the real name I call it. I call it Insta Trash and Face Puke. But I, I logged in there, and, and, and a certain individual popped up, and I, I was like, man, I, I recognize them. I know who they are. I but the effects of sin had such a toll on their life that I couldn't really tell who they were. So I clicked on it to take a peek, and I finally realized who it was. And all of the great things that they did for God and all of the things that they accomplished, and something got into their spirit and caused them to lose heart. It was a saddening thing, Pastor, because... I know where they sat and they learned. I know what they had learned. And I know the background situation. And yet I was angry and mad at the devil. And yet at the same time I was heartbroken. Just to see where they ended up. They become unmarried. Their children are doing things that are abominations to God. And their, and their life is a wreck. And so I saw that and I started weeping. And next thing I know, I saw another face on there. I'm like, wait a minute here. Misery must love company. Let's take a peek here. But these people are actually still in church and proclaiming Christ. They believe in holiness. They believe the standards. They believe everything that we believe. But yet, they're not living the lifestyle outside of church. And I'm not here to minimize your pains here tonight. And I'm not here to minimize the things that you have gone through. But I, I am here to say one thing to you here tonight. Please quit airing your grievances on Instagram. Because you are doing a disservice to God. And you are clinging to bitterness. I'm not trying to be mean and nasty here tonight. But I just want to say that here to you. I'm telling you, you need to get back to the house of God. You are needed in this hour right now. We are in a battle for the life of this nation. And you are needed. Please come back. Let me show you here something in the scripture that David had to face in his life. David in a very traumatic time in his life was running for his very life, compassed about and stressed on every side. But David has something to show us here. 
he preserved, persevered through it all. Psalms 119, 81 through 83. Calf, my soul fainteth for thy salvation, for I hope in the word, in thy word. Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, When wilt thou comfort me? For I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do, not, do I not forget thy statutes. Dr. Albert Barnes says that verse 81 is a Hebrew word, calf, is equivalent to a C chord. The word rendered here, fainteth, is the same that is in Psalms chapter 73 and 26, and it is translated, faileth. My flesh and my heart faileth. The idea is that their strength gave away. I want to read Psalm 73, 1 through 17 because it actually adds to what I want to say here later on. I think it is essential here as we read. I'm going to kind of give commentary as you read this, Brother Golf. Psalm 73, 1 through 17. A Psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such are as are of a clean heart. But as for me... My feet were almost gone. In other words, my feet were on the edge of a cliff. My steps had well nigh slipped. I'd almost slipped away and was gone. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. In other words, all their life, their road is smooth. They grew sleek and fat. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Their pride sparkles like a jeweled necklace around them. Violence covereth them as a garment. And they had the finest clothing woven in violence and hatred. Their eyes stand out with fatness. These fat cats have everything that the hearts could ever wish for. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and mock at God. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They boast against the very heavens, they and their, their words strut through the earth. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And it says here, and God's people are dismayed and confused, and drink it all in. And they say, how doth God know, and is there knowledge in the Most High? Does God not realize what's going on here? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Amen. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands Have I been wasting my time here? Why do I take the trouble to be pure? For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus... Behold, I wanted to make a stand, behold, but I just didn't have the heart. Behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until I got back to God's house. Then I understood, and then understood I therein. I want you to understand, people that I've, I've talked to, backsliders and those that have been tonight, if you can just get back to the house of God, that's the one promise I made God in my life. No matter how bad I've got it, if I can just get back to God's house, everything's going to be all right. But I want to go on. I want to look at Psalms 119 and 83 here once again. Go ahead and read it, Brother Golf. For I am become like a bottle in the smoke. Yet do I not forget thy statutes. As I was praying for this message here tonight... 
these two scriptures came to my mind in Psalm 119 as I read in my text. And, uh, and what it means here and what David is trying to say, upon further examination of the scripture, it is interesting to find that this is not a bottle. It is all, it is, it's what we would think would be a clay vessel or a potter's vessel of sorts. It has a totally different Hebrew word to it. The Hebrew word is nodal. It is used root of uncertain significance. A skin or leather bag for fluids or wine skin. Bottles in eastern nations were made and are still made of skins of beasts. Generally, the skin was taken entirely of a sheep or goat and properly prepared was filled with wine, water, or milk. Such bottles are still used today because they have no conveyances but camels or other beasts of burden in crossing the deserts of sand. It would be difficult for them to carry glass bottles or kegs. Therefore, they fill two skins, fasten them together, and lay them across the back of a camel and thus carry wine and water for a great distance. They were durable enough to withstand the abuse such as falling off a camel or donkey and not be ruptured. But these wine skins had one fatal characteristic, Brother Nelson. You see, in the, day, in the desert, water was of high importance. So that their water would not be stolen in the middle of the night from someone in their caravan, they hung these wineskins in their tents as the fire set outside their tent. And the smoke had little opportunity to escape the tent. So the skins became dark and dingy dried out and hardened, and this would become emblems of distress, discomfort, and sorrow. The meaning here is that by affliction and sorrow, the psalmist had been reduced to a state that would be well represented by such a bottle. And somewhat similar occurs in Psalm twenty-two, fifteen, which says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd. But that's not all. And that characteristic of that fatal flaw... These skins had pores in them. And the heat from the smoke and the fire would expand these pores, thus letting the smoke pass through the wineskin, therefore causing whatever was in the wineskin to become tainted. So when someone took a drink from out of this wineskin, it would have a bitter and nasty flavor from it because it was left in the smoke too long. According to the National Fire Protection Association, most fire deaths in America are the result of smoke inhalation rather than burns. Why is it so difficult for people to escape a fire in their own homes even though they know the layout well? And it is likely is small enough that multiple escape routes are close at hand. One reason is cited that the smoke may be so thick and dense that the occupants are disoriented. For the fire to burn, it requires oxygen and consumes much of the available oxygen individuals need to breathe and remain conscious. This can happen so quickly that the occupants become overcome and unable to reach the exits. David had an urgency in his spirit because he knew how dangerous it was to walk through the trial, but stay in the smoke of that trial too long. He knew that if he stayed in the smoke, he would become hardened and the pressures would cause him to break down. If I stay in the smoke too long, I will become shallow and lack the depth it takes to live for God. If I stay in the smoke too long, all of my beautiful songs will come out tainted 
Every word that I speak will have bitter sound to it. I've come to tell someone here tonight that you have gone through hell and a fiery trial and have come through it. But you are live, have to live through the residue of the fires and the smoke thereof. And the smoke of those fires are, are hardening you and killing your spirit. What was it that when Daniel went through a red hot fiery trial when they came out of it, what was it they said here? Neither the smell of fire or smoke was upon them. This is why David's prayer was so of repentance was so crucial, crucial in Psalms 51 and 7 and 17. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness ah. that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Create in me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit within me. And renew cast a right me not spirit. away. Uh, cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my, thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Amen. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud now, of thy righteousness. what is her tongue singing? O what? Lord, open thou, thou my lips, my mouth shall show forth thy now praise. Now they're singing praises unto God. But thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, and a broken and contrite heart, O God, Thou wilt not despise. Amen. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise. God is not looking for your money, folks. He's looking for your heart here tonight. You need to go back to that first time you met Christ, just like the first miracle he performed at the wedding of Cana, where he turned water into wine. I tell you, as they, the children of Israel, I found this the other day, they were coming out of Egypt. The, one of the first miracles that God performed was at Meribah, where the waters were bitter, and he turned them sweet again. And I'm here to tell you, God can turn those waters in your life sweet again with that living water. John 2 and 6 says this in 10. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Notice these, these, these pots were of stone. They were hard. They were hard stone. Go ahead, Brother Goff. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. Now notice he didn't say half fill these things up. He said fill these things full. And when you look in scripture and you start scudding it out, God doesn't like things half full. He likes things full. Amen. Come on now, Brother Goff. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was... But the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. You have kept the good wine until now. He turned that water into wine. Second Corinthians three, two through six says this. 
Did I not put it in there? All right. Ye are an epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but of the fleshly tables of our heart. You here today are a walking Bible. And what you say and what you do outside of this church does and will affect others. You, most people will never pick up a Bible in their life, but they examine you with a microscope and how you handle things. And if all you have is bitterness and a scrawly face, Ah, you're not, you're not, uh, you need to get back and get full again. That's what you need to do. Get that touch of the Holy Ghost back on you once again. But let us talk about the mockers of the last day and how Jesus was mocked. And yet the Father, He's asked the Father to forgive them. And for they know not what they do. Jesus was mocked. The saints of old was mocked. Hebrews 11 and 33 says this in 40 through 40. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of the lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and their others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings mockings. and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder and were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better things for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. I'll read the next one, brother. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9 says this, Know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those who are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And here we go again. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You don't have to do it this way. You don't have to talk in tongues. You don't have to have the Holy Ghost. You don't have to have these things in your life to be saved. But the Bible says, from such, turn away. Jude also tells us how that we as Christians can be preserved from all of this. Jude 1, 17-23 says this. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. How that they were told there should be mockers, mockers. in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Building up yourselves in your most holy faith. 
This is how we deal with mockers in this last day that discourage us. You get in the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'm going to go on here. I have talked to you tonight about four types of bitter clingers. I've talked to you, though, about those who cling to a lie. I've talked to you about those who cling to traditions. I've talked to you about those who cling to the world. I've also talked to you about those who cling to bitterness. And now I want to talk to you about the most important bitter clingers here tonight. And I'm, close, I'm going to close with this. I kind of skipped through some stuff here tonight. Hopefully I didn't do it any injustice. But here tonight, I, I, I was supposed to preach on... Uh, I guess it was Super Bowl evening, whatever day that was, and we had a bomb, so what did we have, a polar vortex or something, it kept it. But here tonight, I'm going to read from you from an article about some bitter clingers. This story comes from an article called, Could You Stomach the Horrors of the Halftime Show in Ancient Rome? I, and I'm, I put a uh, futuristic twist kind of this story here tonight as what I see possibly coming to the church not too far away. It's February 2nd, 2025, Super Bowl. People are out in the parking lot sacrificing to their God called tailgating. These people rush into the stadium because it's time for the game to start. As you hear two men talking one to another, have you heard about this year's halftime show? And the other man says, no. This year, we're going to kill the Christo. We're going to kill the Christian. And the other man asks, why is that? What have they done? And the other man says, I don't know, but they're evil. And the Super Bowl is where two teams get together and fight for a trophy that means nothing in life. But here today, as the muscle men of old begin to do their game, and it comes halftime show, and the halftime show comes out. And tonight, there's got a special guest. This year he's sung Amazing Grace, but this time, ironically, he's going to sing a new song called Friends in Low Places. And as the Christians are hearing this, and they're singing along, and there's a mass choir of people saying, Kill the Christian! Kill the Christian! And it becomes so loud that they wave the halftime show off, and there's a sound of a loud trumpet. And suddenly, these Christians are escorted out onto the field. These meek and lowly Christians are escorted to the center of the field. Three men and three ladies, one having a baby in her arms. The cameras show their faces on the jumbotron, looking astonished. The number of people in the stadium, uncertain and unknowing of what's about to happen to them. These people have been arrested for assembling and worshiping Jesus Christ. And tonight they will be sentenced in front of the whole world as an example to show what disobedience to the state will cost you. As one camera faces the dictator president, the charges of worshiping the Christ are read aloud and the individuals on the field are asked, Are you guilty? As they go from one to the other, they all answered without hesitation, Yes, we are guilty of worshiping the Christ. As the crowd goes nuts and the guy says, You hear, Mr. President? They're all guilty of worshiping the Christ instead of you. And now they must 
the, the congregate or the stadium goes wild and crazy and the fans are going nuts. Kill the Christian. Kill the Christian. Kill the Christian. And all of a sudden, the, the, the saints become nervous. And as the doors open on one end of the field, here come hungry, raving lions. And the men go forward to protect the ladies, but they are no match for the starving lions. As the lions' roars are so loud, he tackles the first man and breaks his back and begins to devour him. The second lion charges the second man, hitting him head on, bites him in the neck, thrashing him to the ground, and blood squirting everywhere. The third man tries to fend off the third lion, and the lion swats him in the face, blinding him with the claws, and begins to devour him. And the men, just like that, lay there on the turf, dying and bleeding and their muscles still twitching. And the women last no longer. One of the lions bites the lady and takes her arm clean off as she screams in pain, blood squirting everywhere. And the lions begin to maul her. The second woman screams, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Here I am, Lord. And the two lions rip her to pieces and tear her asunder, pulling her apart. And the lady with the baby runs around the stadium, seeing her demise, screaming someone to spare her child. As the lions begin to zero in on her in one last-ditch effort, she throws her child into the stadium, hoping that someone would take her baby, and that baby would not perish. And as the crowd knew that day that they was going to have to lower that baby down, and the man playing games with the lions, decided he'd hold that baby over the deal. And much to his surprise, the lion jumped up and snagged him and jerked him over the wall as well. And as the crowd of 80,000 people stand there in complete and utter silence, not a sound could be heard at the shock that they had just witnessed. The faith of these Christians that was just displayed, the people that could save them, And help them out of their sin. And a wise man stood in the crowd with his megaphone and shouted out, You have killed their bodies, but you'll never kill their cause. Why? Because they were committed. You're never going to kill this cause, devil, because the Christians don't love this world, not even unto death. These people bitterly clung to the truth and the worst opposition one could face And I'm here to tell you here tonight, each and every one of us are in the stadium here tonight. As I read here the saints in the hall of faith, as I pick it up in the last chapter. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. God had, verse 11 and 40 of Hebrews says this, God having provided something better for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. I'm here to tell you tonight, saints of God, that we are in the stadium of life. And there's a world that needs us here tonight. As Brother Nelson poured out his burden here this morning so excellently, I'm pouring out mine here tonight. We're called in this last hour to those who make fun of us, 
who mock us, who rail against us on a daily basis, that we are a living epistle before them. God bless you.